everybody. I did several interviews this past October, November, and December of 2020 with past podcast guests on how they have navigated the business effects of COVID-19. I've had so much fun reconnecting with these past podcast guests, and I am blown away by their resilience and creative responses to COVID-19. Each interview is around 20 to 25 minutes long. I will be combining these shorter style interviews into a total of three episodes. So the first episode is now live, and I'm super excited to share it with you guys. It includes five of my past guests, Margie Walters-Adzik of Addison Bay, Laura Vanderkam, a time management expert, Lisey Lurch of Lisey Lurch Jewelry, Neely and Chloe Birch of Neely and Chloe, and Dr. Foote of Foot Orthodontics. I also have 10 additional interviews with past podcast guests that I'm combining into a second and third episode, which will be released over the next couple of months, and I can't wait to share those. So my first interview is with Margie Walters-Adzik, the founder and CEO of Addison Bay. She launched the company in September 2018, and it is the premier multi-brand destination for active fashion. So here's Margie. So welcome, Margie, to the podcast. So excited. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> so excited. To, and like we were saying, it's, it's an excuse to catch up. So really fun. And just so listeners know how we're connected. So we're childhood friends. We grew up in Avalon, New Jersey together and have stayed friends ever since. And you came on to the podcast last August 2019, which seems so long ago. At that point, you were just about one year into Addison Bay. You also had an adorable, would Annie have been 15 months at that point? Yeah, just about. Just about 15 months. And then here we are just a little over a year later in October 2020, and you've officially been in business for two whole years now. And you just had your second baby, Bear, in August. So lots of milestones in a short amount of time. And as everyone knows, we're living through this COVID-19 pandemic, and so many small businesses have sadly had to shut their doors. But thankfully, Addison Bay continues to thrive, which is so incredible. And I've watched your company closely over the past you know, seven months, and I'm blown away by how incredibly hard you've worked um, at staying creative to keep Addison Bay growing and moving forward. So it's just, um, it's been really fun to watch. So... Let's get started. For the listeners that did not get a chance to listen to my first podcast with you or may not be familiar with Addison Bay, can you tell us a little bit about the company? Yes. Well, first of all, that was such a kind intro. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a long way to go, but really, really exciting stuff happening. Um, but yes, yeah, so Addison Bay is a multi-brand activewear company. So we curate the best assortment of fashion-forward activewear along with designing and producing our own line of active fashion, which has slowly become the outperformer of our assortment. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, as a busy mom on the go, I wanted to develop a one-stop space where activewear went beyond just the time spent at the gym and where fashion-forward didn't have to mean less function. So our primary goal is to marry fashion and function. Um, plus, who doesn't want to live in leggings 24-7, mm-hmm. right? Definitely. Uh, so we've been in business, like you said, for a little bit over two years. Um, it, it has been the most insane roller coaster, um, but some really great things are starting to happen with the company, which is just so rewarding and exciting. I was going to ask you that. So have you had any aha moments over the past two years where you sort of knew you were onto something with Addison Bay? Definitely. So I think I'm going to go start at the top. The tippy top aha moment for me and my team has been um, the creation and um, response to our 
Madison Bay label. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I wrote the business plan, it was always on the business plan that we were going to launch our private label. um, And I thought it would probably happen year four or five. And we launched about 15 months into the company. And we have just seen it skyrocket. It's been absolutely unbelievable. And I think the biggest aha moment moment for me recently um, was our recent fall launch late September. It was the biggest day we've ever had time Wow. And it was just one of those, like, goosebump moments, um, so equivalent to an aha moment, where I said to myself, like, wow, we really have something special here. It's different than what other people are creating. We're playing in our own space, um, and it's just so exciting. I sky's the limit. Like, I feel like we can go for it now. We can let it rip, and it's just been it's been unbelievable. So exciting. I love it. And um, I've been living in all my Addison beer, Addison Bay gear. I think I have the Everyday Pullover. And then a handful of other items. So I strongly encourage the listeners to take a look at your guys' label. It's very cool. Yeah, the Everyday Pullover is our core item. It's just the best. Everyone loves it. And Perfect. I wear it to work. I wear it like on the move. I can wear it to drinks and dinner with my husband. So it really like takes you from AM to PM. I totally agree. I also wanted to ask you how you've been able to juggle the startup world while being a mom to Annie, who's, um, how old is she now? A year and a half? Yeah, she's two years old, so... Oh, two, uh, yes. She's my she's my little crazy toddler these days, uh, okay. a little over two years, and she's just the light of my life, and um, my son is 10 weeks, um, Bear is his name, so they are just everything to me. I just love them so much, um, but yeah, it, it's definitely a juggle. I love Addison Bay so much, and it's really important to me, and totally my other baby, um, and in terms of the juggle, every day is truly different Mm -hmm. really like some days I have everything moving in the right direction and all the balls are in the air and I feel like I'm going to be on the cover of Forbes and then other days I'm the worst mom worst CEO worst wife (laughs) and just the worst in everything and it really is a day-by-day juggle and there really for me has been no recipe besides just being a very present mom when I'm at home Mm -hmm. the very best CEO when I'm at work and then I can try to find that balance between both worlds and do them really well, which is the ultimate goal for me. Right. I love it. Um, and then moving into COVID-19, which hit just about seven months ago in March, what did those first couple of weeks look like for Addison Bay? Um, the first few weeks were filled with so much uncertainty. So you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was totally down. Um, definitely a few tears that mm-hmm. my family had to deal with. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I let myself have a moment literally a moment and then I battled so I would say like that March 16th that Monday really after things started shutting down was the day that I decided to reset instead of freezing and not being able to make decisions I decided to put my head down put the blinders on come up with a plan for Addison Bay to lead my team and you know I I knew that day a lot of companies were not going to make it through this right but we were not going to be one of those companies we were making it through this there's no other way and that day that literally March 16th I remember the day so well um I you know there was no other way I said that to myself and I said it to my team um I think you know on a personal note I was six months pregnant at the time yeah so it totally rocked my world as a business owner and a working mother, um, especially since you know our day-to-day completely transformed. I decided to keep all of my employees hired full-time. Okay. So that was great, but um, that meant I was personally picking and packing all orders at ABHQ with my amazing husband, Mark, <laughs> uh, who 
who really stepped up to help me out and came in the office with me every day, did his own job and, you know, took on the role of picking and packing with me as well, which was incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, Literally wouldn't have made it through those early few weeks, months without him. Um, And then early days as a team, we spent hours on Zoom, FaceTime every day connecting as a team to come up with innovative ways to make our new normal work for us. So Mm -hmm. there was like virtual fittings with friends. We were trying on samples and driveways. Uh, my team just got incredibly scrappy, even even scrappier than we already were, and I'm just so proud of their efforts. Um, it was just, it was, it really was incredible to see. It took a little bit of time. It didn't right. happen, you know, in one day. It took a little bit of time, and then it became our new normal. Um, I think, yeah. And then at home, I was keeping up with the toddler. I was six months pregnant. Right. It was, exhausting but amazing at the same time like I was so fully committed to navigating us through this there was no other option than surviving and I really think that mentality just saved us yeah and then what were some of the creative responses that you guys came up with during that time oh my team got so creative and so scrappy I'm really proud of us um I think one thing we did was we introduced daily online workouts on Instagram oh I love that I remember that like Instagram live workouts yeah Um, and really like the goal was to increase brand awareness and partner with influential fitness instructors. So mm-hmm. I felt like if consumers weren't, were going to close their wallets due to the uncertainty during that time, we at least had to build brand awareness. And this was one creative response that majorly increased our followers, email subscribers, and in turn, increased sales. So that was a really just such an innovative, creative idea. Um, also, when it came to photography and marketing our new collections, mm-hmm. it really it felt nearly impossible to produce a shoot during a global pandemic. So we found safe and gritty ways to make it happen uh, so we weren't delayed on our go-lives of our new collection. Mm-hmm. I asked a friend to shoot our e-commerce photography. She did her own hair and makeup. We all wore masks, stayed six feet apart. We made it work. Um, for our spring Addison Bay campaign launch, we shot another one of my friends, her sister, her mom, who are all in their own little bubble together. I love that one. Um, yeah, right in their backyard. Mm-hmm. And so that was great. Um, we sent new pieces to influencers to shoot at their own home. We used that imagery in our marketing campaigns. Like, really, just all in all, my friends and our little AV fam really stepped up to help us during this time. And I would not have been able to launch our very successful spring Addison Bay collection without them. So, I'm just forever grateful to everybody that stepped up and helped us. Yeah, and I remember in our first interview, you had talked about how pop-ups were so important in generating both revenue and awareness of the brand, but now it sounds like when you do those virtual workouts, so you got in touch with an influencer who had a significant following, and then they would do the workout classes to Addison Bay, and then would they also post, so then you would get some of their followers as well? Exactly, yeah. Okay. So we really just built brand awareness there. They wore our outfits, so... You know, I think some people went on the site to shop, but it really was like a huge um, brand awareness play and our amount of followers shot up, email subscribers shot up. It really was more, I was like, let's build this community. If sales are going to drop a little bit, which they really didn't, but I was hesitant and nervous that they would in in the early days when this all broke. Um, So that was a, you know, a really key goal that I put on the marketing team. And I've said, you know, we really just need to continue with brand awareness. If people, again, are not, going to feel good about shopping right now let's at least build build the community and rally together and make it a bigger thing I love it it's so I thought it was so creative um and I also loved all the photo shoots you guys did too so you had to get creative with family and friends and I personally I loved it I thought the shoot came out so like so unbelievable 
Totally, me too. And my my cousin was our photographer. Oh no way! <laughs> we really just like you know got scrappy, and like I I really don't know if we'll go back to the old way. Right. I love using real people. I think it's very much how what Addison Bay is all about. It's you know the real woman on the move, juggling everything, multitasking all day long, every day. So I, I kind of love the the new normal that we've created in our campaign photography. So definitely something that we'll continue to um, infuse in our marketing moving forward. So pre-COVID, did you use all regular models? And then when COVID hit, you sort of combined it with family and friends? Exactly, yeah. Okay, got it. And that's what you're still doing right now? Yeah. Okay, very cool. And then when did it slow? When did it slowly, I guess, get to the new normal? Like the first couple of months, like everyone was shocked, but then when did things not return to normal, but when did it slowly start to, like you saw the light at the end of the tunnel? Um, are we in our new normal? I, I don't know, actually. Um, it's so crazy. Every day is a different day. I yeah. think um, once you've gotten a groove after those first couple of weeks, and I said, you know what, Mark and I, my husband and I working together every day, if someone had told me that January 1st, I would have never believed them. Um, and, you know, by April 1st, it kind of was our new normal. So okay. that, you know, it kind of became, we just chugged along. And I always say this, we just literally put the blinders on, put our heads down and focus on what we were doing. Yeah. And it became our new normal. And we really, you know, operated quite nicely. Even my team working remotely for three months, mm-hmm. we operated really well together. We did a nice job. It, again, didn't happen overnight, okay. um, but we got really good at it. And um, it just we were just the definition of scrappy. Like yeah. it took an adjustment period, but zoom and FaceTime became second nature. They were probably sick of seeing my face. Um, and you know, working with friends and fittings and, you know, trying on samples and driveways. Like we literally just focused on our plan at hand and it became our new normal. Yeah. I love it. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but the type of clothing you sell at Addison Bay, which you explained at the beginning of the podcast, uh, I feel like it was everyone's go-to clothing during quarantine. So did that help at all, like, for sales-wise? It definitely helped, yes. Okay. I mean, again, like, I didn't know how it was going to play out mid-March when everything broke. So I just didn't know if people were never going to shop again and how yeah. this would how this would sort out. And really the whole work-from-home culture, people wanting to be fashionable yet comfortable at home. I mean, we we got very lucky in that space. Um, I think Fashion Forward Activewear was what everyone was wearing all the time and mm-hmm. really still is and look, it looks to be in the future still, they still will be. Um, I think we just talked about the everyday pullover. That was like considered the Zoom pullover. Like yeah. Literally, we call it like the work from home uniform, like leggings on bottom, the pullover on top and it was what every single person was purchasing and um, it was, we, we lucked out in that regard. I, you know, obviously I, I don't, ever want this to happen again mm-hmm. um but we, we definitely looked at in the space we were in in terms of activewear but really more the fashion forward activewear space yeah for sure I, I lived in the everyday pullover and the ace court which was like the white tennis yes. lived in that up until literally like last month um so so moving forward a little bit so how did you maintain an optimistic attitude throughout the past seven months I mean, it's not easy, but I feel like I surrounded myself with the right people. Uh, So like I said, there wasn't an option to fail. There was no possibility that we weren't getting through this. So I surrounded myself with champions who agreed with that mentality and who would continue to guide me or even just cheer me on. So I would say my go-tos were my husband, who was with me all day, every day, Mm -hmm. um, and my brother, who is also an entrepreneur and a very successful entrepreneur. I'm so proud of him. And I ended up having 
having a standing meeting with my brother, first meeting of the day, every single day. We still do it. So nice. Um, and he just is the absolute greatest. It was the best motivational 30 minutes to come through issues at hand, um, keep me in check, stay positive, talk to somebody else who was going through it. As a solo founder, I sometimes feel like I'm on an island a little bit, mm-hmm. and to be able to um, brainstorm different ideas, we're in totally different fields, so it's not always apples to apples, but we're really able to brainstorm the highs and lows and navigate it. it he's just unbelievable, and again, he's he's navigated the business very well for you know for his company, mm-hmm. um, and just was my go-to resource every single morning. I just I, I wouldn't have gotten through it without him. That's amazing. I love that story so much. Um, and then did you have any, you know, that was part of your daily routine, obviously, but any other daily routines that help you maintain your optimism? Um, yeah, I think working out was key for me. Okay. Um, I think, you know, I was pregnant. Pregnant, so yeah. Drink. Um, to chill out to working out was just so, um, such a big part of my day and part of my mentality. Right. And even now, I mean, with a newborn, it's definitely been more challenging to make make time for myself. Yeah. So I just try to sneak in 15 to 20 minutes a day, and that really does help me mentally. Um, and then just having a very strict daily routine in terms of how I'm allocating my time mm-hmm. totally keeps me on track and optimistic. Like, you know, if I have time with my kids and time spent moving the needle at work and time spent with my favorite person on the planet, my husband, um, you know, all of those combined make for a very optimistic outlook on life for me. Yeah, I love that. Um, And then were there any silver linings? So did your company improve in certain unexpected ways? And do you think there's anything that you'll take away from this time and continue to apply to your business? I know we talked about you know, the photography, how you'll continue to combine it with family and friends, but anything, any other silver linings that we didn't talk about? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest silver lining is like, we are doing really well and I'm just so excited about the growth of of the company. Um, I always say this, we have a long way to go, but we're doing well. Um, so I, you know, sales were very good. So I have to be, that, that is certainly a silver lining. Um, second, my team crushed it. Like, they totally stepped up. I told everyone the plan, and everyone exceeded my expectations. And, and Margie, how many people are on your team again? Uh, three people. Okay, perfect. Love it. Yeah, and, you know, that's, like, really all you can ask for as right. a founder and a manager. Yeah. Um, so you know, that was huge. Um, we have a big partnership coming up in spring of 21, mm-hmm. and I really don't think that would have come about without all of the small business support the past few months. Okay. So... I've thought a lot about that, and it, it definitely is a silver lining that's come out of this. Um, and then in terms of the Addison Bay label, like, it totally took off. It just completely changed my idea of where we were heading with our um, with our own label. And moving forward, we definitely see that becoming a bigger part of our assortment, um, a significantly bigger part of our assortment. And I think, again, COVID really changed that mentality for me and now it's my turn to you know react and bob and weave and figure out the next move for the company in terms of our private label from here well i cannot wait to see what um what the next launch brings in 2021 as you said that's for the spring apparel yes okay very exciting. i can't wait um well i think that wraps up everything can you let the listeners know where everyone can find addison bay follow addison bay and learn more yes definitely so look at our assortment and shop on addisonbay.com. Okay. Um, definitely sign up for emails to hear 
hear about all of our latest drops and all the new arrivals, um, follow us on Instagram. We're very active on Instagram at Addison Bay. Um, and I, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This has been so fun. I love chatting with you. Of course. And it's always an excuse to catch up too, which is great. Exactly. <laughs> Second interview is with Laura Vanderkam, a New York Times bestseller of several time management and productivity books. Here's Laura. All right. So Laura, welcome back to the podcast. So excited to have you here. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And so listeners know we did our first podcast interview exactly two years ago. Time really flies. And for listeners that are not familiar with you, you are a time management expert and the author of several time management and productivity books, including Juliet School Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours, and The New Corner Office. And your work has appeared in publications including The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and Fortune. Plus, you are the host of three different podcasts, which I love all three. Um, And they are Before Breakfast, The New Corner Office, and you are the co-host with Sarah Hart Unger of the podcast Best of Both Worlds. And you live right outside Philadelphia with your husband and five children. So you do it all, which is awesome. (laughs) And just so listeners know, today is Wednesday, December 9th, and we're about nine months into COVID-19. As I said before we started recording, I've been following you on your e-blast and social media platforms and blog, and I'm incredibly impressed by how you've used this time to put together both a podcast and an e-book called The New Corner Office on how to strategically work from home. And not only are you a time expert, but you have been working from home for how many years now? About 18 years now, so it's been a while. Wow. So you know firsthand how to develop you know, an effective skill set on working from home. And what I think is interesting in your books and uh, podcasts, you talk about how it's sort of a skill or an art. So just like anything in life, you have to work at it. And because so many people are working from home during this pandemic and moving forward, I think that's what we're looking at too. I wanted to ask you questions specifically on how to work more effectively from people's home office. So we'll dive right into it. Um, so Laura, I wanted to talk about Mondays because typically it's the dreaded day. So how can people who are working from home now use Monday mornings more effectively to kickstart their week? Well, the best way to kickstart Mondays effectively is to start with a plan mm-hmm. for Mondays. Um, you know, Monday morning is really kind of too late to show up at your desk and say, well, now what do I do? Right. Um, for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is that you lose a lot of that kind of initial energy of a week deciding what to do as opposed to executing on what you want to do. Um, it also, if you don't have a plan for Monday, it can be really easy to lose part of your Sunday to feeling trepidation like nervous, like what's waiting for me? What's in the pile when I get there? And, and, and that's one of the reasons people have those Sunday scaries. So ideally the week before I I plan my weeks on Friday afternoons for, for a lot of reasons, but it might be helpful for your listeners to try this. I think about the upcoming week. So Friday afternoon, sit down with my calendar, sit down with my planner, think about what do I want to accomplish over the next week? Uh, What are the most important things professionally and personally? Where can those things go? What is already on my calendar? What's my plan for dealing with that? And the hope is that by the end of really only like 20, 30 minutes of planning here, Mm -hmm. I know exactly what I'm tackling on Monday morning. If I have meetings that need to happen or phone calls that need to happen, those are on the calendar. If I, um, you know, have a lot of stuff I've got to get through, it's on the calendar of when all those initial steps need to happen. So I know what I'm going to do on Monday morning. And so when I show up at my desk on Monday morning, it's like, okay, I'm doing that. (laughs) And, uh, and, and, and it, 
it's really helped me relax over the weekends and also take advantage of that initial burst of energy in the mornings on Monday. So hopefully that will be helpful for other people too. Definitely. Yeah. And what can people also use it as? Because before the pandemic, a lot of people had like an hour commute. So do you, are there any suggestions you can give on what they can do with that maybe extra hour that they're not commuting any longer? Well, sure. I mean, do something that will make you feel excited and motivated to start your morning. For a lot of people, that might be exercising, um, but maybe it could be reading something inspirational. Um, it could be having a more leisurely family breakfast. There are lots of things you can do with that extra time um, that would have been going to a commute. Right. The one thing you have to keep in mind, though, is uh, what the function of a commute is that you know, it's obviously moving you from place to place, but it's also moving you mentally from place to place. And so you're going from home mode into work mode. And if you're kind of walking straight into your home office from your bed, that's a little bit, you know, you don't have that transition. Right. Um, so a lot of people like to come up with something, um, some sort of Monday morning ritual or any morning ritual just to make, you know, put their brains in work mode. Um, if you've been working from home forever, like you probably don't need that. I mean, I just, when I grab my coffee and sit down at my desk, like that's work mode. Right. Uh, right. But, but if you haven't, you know, if, if that's not your habit, you've been working in other ways for a long time, maybe it's that, you know, I go walk my dog and when I come back and get my coffee and sit at my desk, now it's in work mode. Or maybe there's a pump you up work song you play, mm -hmm. something that's, you know, the soundtrack, like Rocky, I don't know, but you're, you're ready to go now. Right. So, right. so think about what that transition ritual could be. Okay, great. And then speaking of planning, I also want to talk about planning the weekends too. I know this doesn't really have to do with working from home, but I'd love to touch on it because I think it's important because I think people sometimes forget to take the time like the week prior to the weekend to plan what you call anchor events. So can you talk about why uh, making actual plans for the weekend is so effective and helpful? Yeah, and actually, I think this does have to do with working from home because when there's less of a distinction between your weekends and your weekdays, it can be very easy to just sort of lose this potential leisure time. You put around the house, you sort of work ineffectively because you can see your laptop and so you're like, well, I could answer my email, but then you know, half the weekend's gone, and that's no fun. Right. Um, so especially when there aren't as many options and, and there isn't as much of a separation between weekend and workday, you really need to put some thought into it. And so another upside of planning on Friday is it gives you a chance to think about the weekend and say, well, what would I like to do over the weekend? And you mentioned the anchor events. These are just a couple of things that are fun that you are looking forward to that will add to your energy levels that you want to do over the weekend. This is not the things you have to do. This is not going, taking your car to get fixed or, you know, raking the leaves unless those are things you love to do. Um, but these are, you know, this could be, um, you know, going for a bike ride somewhere that you find enjoyable or, you know, going to worship services, going out to dinner with your spouse, you know, doing a family Zoom call, going for a short hike, but, you know, something that you will look forward to, mm -hmm. um, figure out when those can happen, any logistics that need to happen, and you will have a much more enjoyable weekend. I totally agree with that. And then also you said it's important to also plan out if you do it to work over the weekends, like blocks of time. So you're not just thinking like, oh, when am I going to do this work? Um, so would you agree with that, that, you know, maybe setting aside two hours on Sunday afternoon, that that's going to be work time that way you're not thinking about it all weekend. Yeah, 
that because one of the things that makes work seem to take more time than it actually does is if it's always a possibility. Right. Um, so if you've looked at your schedule and said, well, actually, I really need to get through this stuff. I'm a little behind or this would really help with the week ahead. And so I do want to commit, let's say, two hours to work over the weekend. Making a specific block where you know you don't have other things distracting you, um, when you know that is the designated time, is just a far better way to handle this than trying to grab bits of time here and there because then you'll always be in half work mode and half not work mode. It'll take much longer. Um, you'll always feel guilty, like, should I be working now or maybe I should be doing something else? But if you know, okay, Saturday morning from 8 to 10 is the work time, then, you know, any other times, like, well, no, that wasn't that time. Or Sunday from 5 to 7 is the work time if you are thinking about your email at some other point and you're like, no, no, there is a time for that. And now is not that time. Right. I love that. I used that last weekend and it was really helped make my Sunday better. Just knowing, okay, like three to five, that's when you're going to get work done. Um, so that was really helpful. And then one of my favorite techniques I've learned from your podcast, the new corner office, and just so listeners know they're five to six minute episodes and you launch them every day, right? Yeah, yeah, we're going to wind up, I mean, just, I, I don't know exactly when this episode is airing, we're probably going to wind up folding more of that content into it before breakfast, so I'm not doing 10 short podcast right. episodes yeah. a week uh, for too much longer, um, but but it'll still be there, it'll, it'll still be there, yes. Okay. So the other day, I had a meeting that started at 11, and I had 10 minutes to kill, so I quickly tuned into the podcast, and I learned about the 20-minute sprint concepts, which has been my favorite go-to tool from for working from home. So can you explain the 20-minute sprint mindset and how we can use this technique to tackle focus work or even mind-numbing admin work? Yeah, so, I mean, when we get distracted, things tend to take a much longer amount of time. And some distractions are inevitable. I mean, and particularly people who have, like, children doing remote work right now or, if, you know, somebody's going to call you and you don't know exactly when. Um, you know, that... That can always be an issue, but just as big a problem is that we often interrupt ourselves. Um, You know, you set aside time to get through a a handful of administrative tasks, but then you're like, oh, well, I just saw the number go up on my inbox icon. Let me just see what's in there. And then then you're distracted as, you know, you have to get in and out of different activities and you haven't gotten through what you need to. So a way to do this is to even set a timer. So it's like you're racing against the clock and, you know, people who do the Pomodoro technique set it for 25 minutes. But, you know, the point is just to choose some chunk of time um, where you can fully focus and challenge yourself to get through a certain number of tasks in that time Um, and, and then take a break. So let's say you need to, um, you know, fill out a spreadsheet, somewhat of a mind numbing task, you know, get through absolutely as much as you can in that 20, 25 minutes. When the timer goes off, you can go do something else for a couple minutes. If you need to come back and do it again, another 25 minute sprint, um, of focus, it, it, it just helps you get through that sort of work and, and 20 minutes, 25 minutes is, is not that long. I mean, if you're feeling like, Oh, I can go check my mom. No, no, no. I I only have a couple more minutes to get through. Um, so that's more motivation. It's also motivational to see how much you can get done when you're not constantly being distracted. Right. So I love that. It's helped me tremendously, which is great. It's also nice knowing like, okay, you're going to get a break in like eight more minutes. Just keep going. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, And then also you mentioned how um, children's shows are typically 20, 22 minutes. So that could be a good technique for someone working from home too. 
yeah, if you if you are you know needing to um, occupy children and you have some sort of work that has to get done but doesn't require a whole lot of thought, then yeah, I mean, turn on Dora the Explorer and right. <laughs> do your Pomodoro technique during that. Right. Um, and then I also want to talk about taking small breaks throughout the day, specifically that you know in, uh, include exercise. So can you talk about why? doing these small, maybe it's even like 10 minutes of exercise can help you push through the day? Yeah, so, I mean, everyone goes through uh, peaks and valleys of energy in the course of the day, and it, it can be very helpful to track this, you know, to say, well, when am I feeling like I can conquer the world, and when am I feeling like I really need a nap? Mm -hmm. And knowing this about yourself, uh, because then if you proactively build in short breaks during the times when your energy is going to dip, you will be able to get a lot more done because those breaks can then add to your energy levels. And physical activity is really, um, it's, it's well studied. It's known to be an energy booster. Um, getting outdoor physical activity is even more so. So, you know, even in the winter, like bundle up, you know, put your big coat and mittens on, go outside and walk around for 10 minutes. You will come back in an incredibly different state than you left. Uh, you will have so much more energy. Uh, but even, you know, there was one study that had people go up and down the stairs for somewhere between like one and five minutes. And they had more energy for more than an hour afterwards. I mean, it was just like they were it was, it was like they had had two cups of coffee and right. only without the side effects of that. Cause there's basically no downside right. um, to getting physical activity. Right. So yeah. Um, you know, if you are going to have that slump in mid afternoon, instead of grabbing that second cup of coffee, get your coat on, go outside, go take a walk, come back. You'll actually be able to work from three 30 to five, as opposed to reading the same email six times in a row and getting distracted because your energy is low. Right. And I tried that yesterday too. It was, it was freezing outside yesterday, but, um, it was around like two 30, And, um, I had a little bit more work to, to get done. And so I was in that slump. So I quickly did a 10 minute walk bundled up and then I came back and the last two hours flew by. So it definitely helps. And then you also say, even if you can't get outside, um, to do jumping jacks sometimes, or even like a plank, like get creative that way. Yeah. I mean, jumping jacks will also make you feel much more energetic. And mm -hmm. it may seem like a bit of a paradox because like, well, it sounds, sounds like doing, you know, a hundred jumping jacks would take a lot of energy. Right. And it does on some level, but it gets you moving, gets your blood pumping, like gets you out of your chair. It, it's just, you just have to trust that in fact, there is a lot of good research on this, that you will feel more energetic afterwards. Mm -hmm. So just go for it and then, you know, make a note of it and, and that will help convince yourself. Mm -hmm. And isn't it true also that sometimes your most creative ideas are on those 10 minute quick walks? Well, sure. Anytime you are stepping away from your usual environment, you're introducing some sort of new inputs mm -hmm. and that can jog new thoughts loose. Um, that's when your brain is not actively trying to do something. And so it's kind of running in the background mm -hmm. and that, that background activity is where you piece together different things that you know about, um, in new ways. And, and so, you know, everyone's had that experience of like, Oh, you know, I was stumped on this and I took a shower and the answer came to me or I was stumped on this. And then I got my car to drive somewhere and it came to me while I was driving or, right. you know, went for a walk and the answer came to me. There's a very good reason that's happening, and it's not foolproof. I'm not saying, like, if you're, you know, debating the world's toughest question, like yeah. going for a walk will magically solve it, but it's far more likely to solve it than just staring at your computer. Mm -hmm. I love that. 
Um, and then next question, I could ask you a thousand questions, but I won't, <laughs> we only have time for a, little, a couple more. Um, so a lot of times people will get distracted by things around the house when they are working from home, such as the urge to finish the laundry or the dishes. Can you talk about the importance of a later list, what you call it, during your work time? Yeah. So, you know, like we said, distractions happen all the time. They happen in the office. They happen at home. Uh, some of them we can't control, but some of them we can. You want to make sure that you don't interrupt yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you have set aside time to work on something with, with a real high level of focus, it's possible that some very important thought will pop into your brain like, oh, I'm not sure we took the meat out for dinner or like, you know, I'm pretty sure the laundry is just sitting there and I'm going to forget it. Or, you know, I have to sign this permission slip before the end of the day. You know, these things are going to occur to you rather than go deal with them. Make the, a list that you will then get to later so that you don't forget these things. Because, yes, it's important that you remember them. But write it down on a little list, you know, just what we call a later list. And then when you are done with this period of focused work, then you can address all these all these important but you know things that aren't part of that focus work and that way you'll get to both whereas if you stop in the middle of your focus work to go check if you've taken the meat out for dinner like you're going to see that the kitchen is a mess and then you'll be like oh well let me just do these dishes and the next thing you know that time that you had available for focused work is gone so right. again it's hard enough to get focused time don't take it away from yourself right yeah, I love the later list idea. Um, and then I'd love to talk about on how to strategically use small bits of time. So let's say you've been meeting at 10 and it's 9.55 and you have five minutes. A lot of people will be tempted to, you know, scroll through social media. It's so easy to open Facebook or Instagram. Um, what other things can people do to not fall into the, you know, social media, the social media hole? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that there's anything wrong with social media. It's just that these bits of time could be used for other things. I mean, if you have a list for, you know, bits of time, maybe there are small tasks that you can tackle that will then, you know, mean you don't have to do these later. Um, so it could be a quick response to somebody that's on your priority list for the day. Um, but it can also be things like, uh, you know, if you're on your cell phone, you can walk around your office, get some extra steps in, um, you know, do that plank pose <laughs> as long as you're not on video chat. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, uh, you know, make, write in a journal. You can read something in five minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that can be read in five minutes, like a poem could be read in five minutes or even a couple pages in a book. Right. Um, and if the people are late to the 10 o'clock meeting, <laughs> you know, you might get, 10 minutes of reading there. Yeah. Uh, and, and that would be great. Like if you get a couple of these during the day, then you could make your way through really long books and, and not a huge amount of time just by seizing this time that would be otherwise wasted. I, a lot of people, do, you know, yeah, do social media or they clean out their inbox. I know that is a common task. The problem with this is that email expands to fill all available space. So you're not actually saving time by deleting those newsletters while you are um, waiting for the phone call to start. Um, so, you know, try to use it for something slightly more important and, and you will be amazed at how much of this time adds up. Right, exactly. Um, okay, so there are a lot of people tuning in that have become well-adjusted to working from home over the past nine months. So when the vaccine arrives and, you know, if we go back to quote-unquote normal, people may have to start returning to the office. So this can be a very anxiety-ridden thought given that we have all seen how much time and energy we can save by not go going into the office every single day. So what advice can you provide on how to negotiate a new work schedule where employees have the flexibility from working from home. 
Well, I think the best thing you can do is show just how productive it was while you were working from home. Um, you know, any like people love data. So if there's anything you can do to survey your colleagues, you know, to make the case that people were just as productive, um, even with this global pandemic going on. Um, because, you know, I think a lot of business leaders were concerned that if people are working from home, they're just going to be watching Netflix. Well, clearly that is not the case. Right. Like people have been able to run their businesses for nine months, and in many cases, just as well. Right. Um, with happier employees. So that seems like a huge win. Um, But, you know, so it would be hard for anyone to argue that it just can't work. Like before the pandemic, there were a lot of people saying, oh, it would never work for us. Mm. Well, clearly that is not the case. If you had the choice of going out of business or letting people work from home, people let people work from home and magically things kept humming along. Um, I would say, though, that you can present it as not being an either or situation. You know, I think a lot of people are like, well, you know, yeah, there are upsides to working from home, but like seeing each other face to face is important. These are not mutually exclusive statements. Of course, it's important to see people face to face. And yes, it's also great to work from home. So I think a lot of places will settle on some sort of hybrid arrangement, which is what you might propose. Like, what if we say, you know, we work from the office uh, two to three days per week and from home two to three days per week, and maybe teams can sort of even set what those days are um, so that the in-office days can be concentrated on social activities, on, on working closely together, on building those relationships. And then the work from home days can be more focused on individual productivity, on really getting things done. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the next six to nine months pan out and how everything will unfold. Um, but Laura, this was awesome. I think we covered all of my questions. I could talk to you for another hour, but... Um, but this, this was great, and I so appreciate um, the time that you gave me. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me back. I'm glad to talk about this topic. Third interview is with Lisey Lurch of Lisey Lurch Jewelry, where she's the founder and CEO. The company has been in business for almost 20 years. Here's Lisey. Okay, Lisey, welcome back to the podcast. So excited to have you here. Thanks. I'm excited to be back. So just so listeners know, we did our first interview exactly three years ago in October 2017. And three years ago? Three years. Isn't that crazy? Oh my gosh. I would have thought it was like last year. I know. It's crazy. And we were just talking about that, how we did the interview on a beautiful fall day at Marion Cricket Club in Haverford. And it was a fantastic interview. But when we were doing the interview, there were a lot of landscapers and lawnmowers. And I remember yeah. thinking, uh-oh, like, this this may not be good. But I was like, oh, it'll be fine. It won't pick up the noise. But then when I went back to edit it, sure enough, you could hear the trucks. The lawnmower. The wind. The wind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there was, like, constantly a truck in the back, like, reversing. Like, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> and I remember... Yeah. I remember being so embarrassed when I had to call you, but you were so nice. And we oh did, my gosh. yeah, and we did life, a redo. You know, that's it's called life, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, we did the redo over the phone, and it turned out great. And yeah. now here we are. Fast forward three years. It's October yeah. uh, Wednesday, October twenty first, and I re-listened to our podcast interview a couple weeks ago, and I immediately texted you because I really forgot how much I admire your story. You've been in business oh, since thanks. 2001? Yep. I okay. started in the spring of 2001. Yep. Which is almost 20 years, which is almost insane. 20 years, which is, it's just, it's, um, 
it has gone by so fast, but yet it's been an eternity, if that, like, makes any sense at all. I mean, I feel like, I feel like it was a hundred years ago that I started, yet yeah. it feels like yesterday. I mean, I just, so much has happened, and I've evolved so much and grown so much. Um, amazing. Yeah, and had so much fun. I mean, def- there were definitely, you know... Um, you know, hardships along the way, but all in all, I don't think I would change anything. Amazing. And just so listeners know, you're also a full-time working mom to three kids. And how old are they all now? I am. So Libby is 17 and she's applying to colleges, which is crazy. Um, I will have a college baby next year. So wild. Um, And then KK is a sophomore in high school and little Jonesy is 12 and he's in seventh grade. Oh, such nice ages. Yeah, yeah. So cute. Yeah, the girls girls are such 17 and 15 year old girls. Yes, they're so nice. (laughs) No, I get it. I grew up with three sisters. Oh my goodness. So, Yeah. 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 Um, but anyways, okay, so for the listeners that haven't had a chance to listen to my first podcast with you, which I, you know, urge them all to do because it really, I loved it so much. Can you tell us a little bit about what Lisey Lurch is and how you've evolved over the past 20, almost 20 years? So, um, I started this business, um, I worked in New York in finance for a long time. I worked on Wall Street and that's where I met my husband. And then he got his MBA at Cornell. So we lived up at um, Cornell in Ithaca for two years. And I had always wanted to, I knew after working on Wall Street that I did not want to be trapped inside and I did not want um, um, anything, I I didn't want a job in finance. I needed to use my creative juices. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I just had so many ideas that I wanted to, um, you know, to, to, to bring to fruition. So um, while I was working full-time in the recruiting office um, at Cornell in the business school, I um, went down to New York and um, I was there for about three days And I, because I, I had this vision that I wanted to start a hat company because um, anytime that we went to any um, horse events like the Preakness or the Belmont or, mm-hmm. um, you know, any like steeplechases or, you know, any fun things like that um no one really made an affordable hat for a girl on um a very tight budget okay. <laughs> just, you know i had this idea when i was a single single girl living in new york um so it was my mission to make a really cute affordable hat that looked great mm-hmm. um and so i did it i started the business and um i did it you know while i was still working um, full-time and got my line sheets together and, you know, started sending out um, product and then that took off and then um, every time I would go into the garment district in Manhattan to my millinery supply stores, Mm -hmm. um, I would get sucked into the jewelry, the beading stores. So I would go into the beading stores and I would buy beads and when I came home, I I could not wait to start making the necklaces. So I would make necklaces and bracelets and then, um, 
then I would start doing the hats. But I, I did like really gravitate to the jewelry instantly. Okay. Um, and by that time, I had two babies. Okay. Um, and by the time baby number three came along, I I put the hats on the back burner and I literally put them on the back burner for like 16 years. <laughs> uh, I just brought them back a couple years ago. Um, and that's when I started doing really um, full-on jewelry. Um, and that is sort of what launched me onto a national level was the jewelry. And then um, I bought a handbag company that had, had been in existence for 16 years. Um, I bought it in June of 2018. Um, so now we basically are um, women's accessories. So we're hats, earrings, uh, well, all kinds of jewelry okay. um, and handbags. Amazing. Yeah. So cool. So, okay. So COVID-19, obviously everyone knows it hit in March of 2020. Um, Mm -hmm. What did that look like for Lacey Lurch in those first couple of weeks? Um, So I never let, um, I never let it sink in. Um, I knew... I knew that it was going to be really, really tough. I knew we were heading into something that was probably going to be financially really, really, really tough. Mm -hmm. But when I um, face things like that, when I face challenges like that, I tend to put my game face on and pick my chin up and just, just go, just walk right into the storm. Okay. Um, and then I look back and I'm like, Whoa, that was so hard. And and I still, I'm not able to able to look back because we're still, we're not in the thick of it, but we're definitely still feeling the, um, you know, the, the revenue loss. I mean, we're down 50%, um, this year because, uh, we sell to hundreds of boutiques all over the United States Got and it. they okay. were all closed for, right. you know, some of them were closed for four months. Okay. Um, so we had to really rely on our retail, which is, um, the, the, um, sales on my website, which, um, have been strong and continue to be strong, which is really what is keeping us, um, above water right okay. now through the website. Thank God. Yeah, it's the shoppers are not beating down the door. Right, I mean, they are. It's very slow going. Um, the stores are not crowded. Right. Um, there's still a lot of the stores are still really trying to get rid of their summer, your spring and summer inventory. Right, right, right. Because they didn't have the shoppers um, for that, and which which is sort of a domino effect because if it, if they don't sell that product, then they don't have the money to put into fall, holiday, and winter products. Um, which is a little bit of an issue for us now too. So, um, we're just doing the bob and weave and, um, you know, figuring this out as we go and just trying to, I think the name of the game and all this is get create, you have to get super creative and find ways to sell, um, which I have to say we're pretty good at. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. What have some of the creative responses been? To this new normal. So, um, we did, you mean like, like things that we did where we got creative? Yes, exactly. So I, right away, um, I started this, 
campaign that we did basically for the whole spring that um, we were going to turn lemons into lemonade. Okay. And our tissue paper we did um, in yellow, and everyone got a yellow lollipop in their their package with a little yellow ribbon. Um, And we did this fun thing where um, we did live um, chats with other brands and bloggers. Okay. So it was a fun way for us to not only keep in touch, but hear how each other was getting through COVID and what their struggles were. And it was, um, you know, in front of an audience. So, um, so I think people enjoyed listening to how we were handling this and, um, hearing that we were majorly struggling too. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So all kinds of like things like that we did. I love that. And then um, question two, did you guys have any delays to your planned product launches? Like where were your factories? Oh my God. So, oh, it was such a disaster. Um, Okay. So a lot of our product was held in customs because not in the United, I don't think customs in the United States ever shut down, but customs in all, like a ton of other countries just shut down, just closed right? for weeks. Um, and a lot of our packages were just stuck in customs. And then when the customs people came back to work, they had millions and millions and millions of boxes right. to process. So it took forever. So for instance, one huge crate that we were supposed to get, I think it was like on like May 20th, didn't come in until like July 30th. Oh. So, um, it, and it was, it was a lot of stuff and a right. lot of summer stuff. And by, you know, in, in retail and in fashion, July 30th is like the tail end of, you know, your, your summer season. So we had to quickly move a lot of white um, jewelry. Right, right, right. Um, so, which is great for the customer because everything was on massive sales. So, okay. And I think every brand had everything, you know, really um, on sale just to move through it because a lot of launches were pushed back. A lot of, um, you know, um, factories were closed so the product couldn't get made. That was another issue for right. us. Okay. A lot of boxes, you know, like mine were held up in customs and just like sitting in customs right. warehouses all over the world. Um, so I am so glad that's behind us and I yes. really hope we don't shut down again. I know. So now oh. it's, it's, it's back to is, are the launches and the deliveries, is that sort of back to normal pace now? Yes. Okay. That is that's back good to news. Normal. Yep, um, our factories are up and running cautiously, but they're up and running. Okay. Um, yeah, so all of that has sort of gotten back to normal, oh, and good. hopefully, I'm crossing my fingers, hopefully it will stay that way. Oh, good. Okay, so yeah. you also had three kids at home during COVID, so how, how did you handle, you know, running the business and putting out fires on the business side, and then also having, because they were home, right, throughout the rest they of the- They were home. So yeah, how did that yeah. work? Um, it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was really interesting. Um, I think, though, that their schools did such a great job, though. I mean, they were really, um, you know, they were they were in front of their computers at 9. Okay. And uh, it was great that everyone got to sleep, you know, an extra, like, 45 minutes yeah. to an hour. So that was awesome. 
without the commutes to all the, the different schools. Um, so um, everyone was in front of their computers at nine, and then I would go into my office, and then at like, I don't know, like noon, um, they, the kids would break for lunch, and I would make everyone lunch. Okay. And, um, I There was definitely a part of me that loved having everyone stuck Aww. at home with me, yeah. especially since I have um, two teenage girls who right. are always like running all around and you know, a lot of times, like, like with, you know, I, I, I won't know exactly where they are, and it's just, you know, nerve-wracking, and you worry, and, and I didn't have to worry, because they were stuck with me, right. you know, at home, and they were not happy, but I was kind of thrilled, I sort of loved it. <laughs> so that's a silver lining, a little bit. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, 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 lots of movie time, um, gosh, watched a ton of um, series on Netflix, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was, I mean, yes, I I am, you know, um, business wise, it was not fun at all and it still is not fun and I can't wait for 2021. But I do think that, um, from like family wise and emotional wise and social wise, it was a great pause. Definitely. It was a great, um, I feel like everybody needed that downtime. I Definitely. feel like we were, we were running and running and running and running and running. And, um, I have said a million times that I, I was for, I felt very fortunate that it happened when it did because I was pushing and pushing so hard and just mm-hmm. going a hundred miles an hour every single minute of every single day yeah. that I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Yeah. So forcing so, pause a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it definitely had its goods and its bads. Um, so there's definitely silver linings on the home front. But then did Lisey Lurch, did they improve in certain unexpected ways that you'll now continue forward? Yeah. It, um, it really helped us to sharpen our retail game. Okay. Um, and we're doing a lot with the website as we speak. And we're mm-hmm. going to roll out some new, um, we are having our um, site converted so that it's very mobile friendly. Okay. Um, and that'll be rolling out in a couple of weeks. We're starting a rewards program that will roll out in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. too. Um, I'm actually starting a blog. Nice. That will come out. Yeah. As soon as the, um, the website is um, is up and running, um, I'm going to the new website. Um, I am going to start a blog. Lizzie, you could have your own podcast. You're so funny. You you literally could have your own podcast. You should think about that. <laughs> Maybe I will. <laughs> yes, do it. <laughs> I know. I have been told before that I could do stand up. I'm like, nah, it's you definitely I'm could. For now. <laughs> I do have a lot of stories at my sleep. <laughs> um, so the listeners know, where can they find Lisey Lurch? Obviously your website, and then Lisey where else Lurch. can they follow com. you? Okay. Yep, LiseyLurch.com is the best way um, to find me. And that's where you're going to find the entire, um, you know, everything from A to Z. You'll okay. find there. Um, the stores um, locally are um, Luella. Um, and, um, she has, uh, Maria has a great variety of, okay. um, 
of my things as well. So, and she has great clothing in there to pair with um, my accessories. Amazing. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Um, well, Lucy, thank you so much. And I, I'm hoping, I have a good feeling that things are going to, I don't think we'll go through a second lockdown. So um, hopefully all the stores will remain open and everything will slowly get back yes. to normal for you guys. Yes. Especially. Yes, I do too. Yeah. Perfect. My fourth interview is with sister duo, Neely and Chloe Birch. They are the co-founders of Neely and Chloe, which offers a wide variety of accessories such as handbags, wallets, footwear, and so much more. So welcome Neely and Chloe to the podcast. So very excited to have you both on for round two. And just so the listeners know, we did our first interview in May of 2018, so just about two and a half years ago. And I recently re-listened to that interview, and it was really fun to listen again to your entrepreneurial journey as sisters. And Neely, I totally forgot how after you graduated from college, I think it was 2013, you traveled in Airstream trailer up and down the East Coast? Oh, I did. (laughs) And correct me if I'm wrong, but was that that gave you the market research for when you guys eventually launched Neil and Chloe? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I could, could spend a lot of time telling you about what went <laughs> right and what went wrong, but um, you know, the most valuable part of it really became the market research that we did while we were on the ground and out there with, um, with everyone. I love it. And then um, while you were doing that, Chloe, you were working in the corporate world at J. Crew, right? Yes, exactly. I graduated um, in 2014 and okay. then went to work at J. Crew as a merchant. Okay. So I was there for a little over a year, which was great. It really gave me kind of a baseline of the fashion world business and design. And um, so I learned a lot. And then was after a year, Neely convinced me to leave <laughs> and kind of and start this venture with her based off of the, the knowledge and information she gathered um, while um, she was handling and working on the Airstream. Nice. And so that was 2015 when you guys sort of joined forces. And yeah. during that year, you did your business plan, fundraising, and then launched Neely and Chloe in the fall of 2016, right? That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Okay. So it's been around exactly four years since the launch, I would say? Just over, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it was September 2016 when we launched in New York. Okay. And um, yeah, so it's been about four years, which is hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> Very impressive, too. Okay. And then here we are today. It's Wednesday, October 28th, 2020. And we're around seven months into this COVID-19 pandemic. But before we talk about the effects that it's had on your business, would love for you guys to provide the listeners with a little bit of background on what Neil and Chloe is and how your company has evolved since the launch. Yeah, definitely. So Neil and I, um, as you mentioned, launched the business in 2016. And our whole goal, which which still remains the same, was to, to create um, high-quality yet attainable products to our consumers. So we really wanted to create timeless pieces that were classic, um, you know, clean, understated, really high quality, but didn't break the bank. Um, We wanted everyone to be able to access Neely and Chloe and um, make sure it was an accessible um, price point for our consumer. Okay, perfect. And then I think another key pillar of the brand that really sticks, you know, rings true today is that we wanted to create a company and a brand that people felt like they could connect with on a deeper level beyond just product. Um, so, you know, naming the brand after the two of us and really being the face um, or the two faces of the brand had a ton. 
had to do with the fact that we felt like it was important to be able to build a stronger, more meaningful relationship with, you know, the places you purchase and understand the story and where they're coming from and why they do what they do. Nice. And then how has it evolved since you guys have launched it? So you guys started with handbags, but now if you go on your website, you have a lot of different type of product, right? Well, yeah. yeah so we launched with handbags, mm-hmm. shoes, and um, small other goods. Okay. And I would say we've, you know, really evolved into focusing on, um, you know, both travel pieces and handbags as well as small other goods. So we've kind of expanded the um, product offering um, and creating a few new silhouettes each each season. Um, and then we've also expanded the fabrications and what types of um, fabrics and uh, leather qualities and um, that type of stuff that we work with. Mm-hmm. And I love all your product too. So I encourage the listeners to definitely go on your website because I have... No, my favorite piece is the Weekender bag, which I still use all the time. Um, I've slowly started going back to the office, and so I'll leave my apartment for, like, the whole day, and I throw everything in there. Um, and I yeah. always get compliments on it, too. I've had it for over two years now. And then I also have the makeup bag and the jewelry case, and my mom has one of your handbags. So, oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's also a testament that, I guess, your audience – What's what do you think is the age – frame of the audience because you know I'm 33 and I love your product my mom's 70 and she loves it too yeah that's a great question I mean when we launched the company we really expected our core user base to be um you know early 20s to late 30s I think probably a lot of that driven by the fact that we felt like we were really creating products that we were looking for in the market um and what's been really amazing over the last four years is to watch how that consumer base has evolved and um I think exactly what you said. We have women that are 18 and are, you know, have a summer internship or a summer job that they're saving up money to come purchase a bag they're excited about, a, like we like to call it your first big girl bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the way through to people our mom's age, you know, their 60s or their 70s that um, have a little bit, have more spending power, uh, can come in. We buy, we do a lot of gifting with them as well as purchasing for yourself. So I think seeing the, how multi-generational the product has become has been um really amazing yeah agreed and then personally i've watched you guys grow tremendously over the past you know two to four years um can you tell us about some of the aha moments when you guys knew you were on to something with neely and chloe i think honestly for me um this is chloe i think you know my biggest aha moments which may not be a big aha moments to other people but it's just seeing someone on the street with yeah. one of our bags that mm-hmm. don't know us um i think it's i i one time had a little outburst on an airplane because i saw someone carrying outburst is dramatic yeah. <laughs> i kind of shrieked i was like she, oh my God. she was boarding the plane and she was in the aisle and she was like oh the, this poor girl was like getting her bag her little cosmetic case out of her overhead and chloe stopped her and was like that's my bag and i was like <laughs> That's so <laughs> funny. Like, oh no, I'm, like, I'm sorry. I mean, it, I'm Chloe. Yeah. And I was like, ma'am, we really need you to go to your seat. Chloe's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that is so funny. So I think those moments are really exciting when it's someone that you have no connection with. It's not an aunt, it's not a cousin, but a total stranger who, you know, decided to spend their money on your website and purchase one of our products. I think yeah. is a huge a huge thing for us so that's um, I think mine I don't know Neely if you have a different aha moment no I mean I think it's funny that that is that's such 
a it's such a good question, but the answer is uh, it's one of those things that sort of is every time you think you reach it, there's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we've had many along the along the way, but I agree with Chloe. Even still, whenever we see someone with something, it's always so very exciting. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, so everyone knows COVID nineteen hit in March. So would love to hear how those first couple of weeks looked like for you guys. Oh, geez. <laughs> um, they, I mean, I think they took everyone by surprise. Yeah, it's funny. Um, we had we were hosting an event in Palm Beach. Yeah, on March, I think it was March 11th or 12th. Oh, I remember seeing that on social media. Yeah, and we, I remember... You know, I remember when we flew down, we flew down on a Wednesday and the event was on a Thursday and I remember flying down and being like, probably should like Clorox my, my seat and just be we like, like, are we getting on an airplane? Are we leaving? Are we right. going back to New York? Can we go back to New York? Um, you know, there were all those rumors flying around that they were going to close tunnels and bridges and my like infrastructure obsessed husband was like, that's not a thing. They can't do that. <laughs> Stop reading Twitter. I remember that. I do. And I remember actually seeing pictures from your guys' event and being like, well, they're, they're in Florida. Like, it must be fine. <laughs> yeah. And so even there, you know, things were fine. Things were fine. We actually had the event and we had some people cancel last minute, but we hosted the event mm-hmm. and then it was like a day later. And right. It was like, oh, we got it. We got to go where we think we're going to be for at least two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we actually all flew back to Philadelphia um, our both our fiancés came. There were nine of us in our house. Wow! And we um, were here, and, and I went think fully into survival mode. Yeah, and so I think the biggest thing for us is that we do we wholesale and we sell. Sent, excuse me, we sell to um, a, a ton of retailers, and I think you know the country was going you know, completely shutting down at that point. And they're all mostly boutiques and better specialty stores. So they're little guys. One of our favorite things about our partners um, is that they're, you know, they're all small owned, small businesses. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, there's been a lot of things that have benefited, that's been, that have been beneficial to the partnerships. Like they don't have an online presence, which allows us to focus on online sales and then support them in their person, in-person brick and mortar sales. Um, and, all of the things that had been valuable up until this point made them sort of the hardest hit component um, during the pandemic. So we projected our uh, wholesale sales to be about 60% of our sales in 2020. Um, And I don't have final numbers, but I can tell you they won't be, they won't be 60%. um, That's for sure. Right. Um, So, you know, we, we had shipped out probably about 30% of our spring orders by this time. And like, I would say, half if not more of the remaining orders got canceled yeah and so Uh, it was it was about it was a tough two weeks of just i have to cancel this order i have to cancel this order and me basically being like please just hold it right so some of them held it and some of them um ended up taking their orders but it was a lot of um canceled orders which you of which course can't scary, scary and you right. can't them because they were total they were shutting down as well um and so it was you know neely and i for about two weeks just going into crisis mode and trying to figure out how we were gonna get through this thing um so we yeah so we i mean we really battened down the hatches any kind of expendable 
um, line items on our cash flow, we, mm. we knocked out. So, and you know, it, they're not easy decisions. There was a lot of people that we care about and we loved working with, but right. PR, PR, um, which I think is always inevitably, I mean, I think if you ask other small business owners, it, it's one of those line items that always feels a little bit painful when you pay for it. You're always like, oh, I, it's like hard to track it's right. hard to see exactly where it's coming from. Um, so we got rid of our PR team. We, um, we ramped, uh, not ramped. Up. We got rid of our digital ad spend. We stopped spending there. Um, and we basically, you know, we sat down and I think we, it's a, it's a little bit of a different business model than some of the people that I think you've talked to because we, we do wholesale. So we right. have a wholesale margin built into our product. Um, and so I think when we, sat down and we thought about it and we thought about all the inventory we'd allocated towards wholesale and how much trouble we were going to have moving it. Um, we were like, you know what, we're going to do something relatively radical, which was to offer the product at as close as possible to the wholesale pricing to our consumers okay. um, on the internet. So, and I, you know, the brand integrity 101 is going to tell you that you can't do that and it's going to be an issue for you in the long run and you're going to have a plate price price resistance when you try to come back um, and I think we just had a moment where we were like this is not normal this is not usual context our consumers are smarter than this like it's a tough time for everybody and everybody's right. looking for something a little uplifting and so we're gonna go for it um, so we offered them our products it was the biggest the largest widespread discount we've ever done okay um, and the support we received was amazing. Um, I think we we were very transparent. We were like up on video on our Instagram, like with sort of half brush hair and a glass of wine at like three thirty in the afternoon. <laughs> and everybody was doing right, <laughs> and um, really just being like, you know what, like this is challenging. Where we're, we want to, you know, we have this beautiful product. It's been made. It's been created. Right. The worst case scenario would be to be sitting around in September realizing we had to mark it down even beyond that that price point um so let's get it out and get it out there now and i think it it, it was it was an amazing brand building opportunity for us i think like counter to what you would often think it it gave uh, consumers that had been eyeing product um who had been a little intimidated by the price point the opportunity to engage with right. something they were excited about and we received way more feedback on along the lines of like I've been d doubting buying this bag for 168 dollars but whoa i'm blown away by the quality and it's so it's as good as or better than I was expecting. Like I'll be comfortable purchasing full price next time. Way more of that than people being like, oh, "Why would I ever buy your product again if if you're selling it now at fifty percent off?" Right, right, right. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so it, so that you know we hit actually our growth targets for this year on the wow. e-commerce side, which is or so far this year, which is really lucky and really amazing. Uh, but. The, you know, the wholesale side was hard. We um, we really limited our, we only reordered for the fall items that we knew we had traction with previously. And so we did a very small restock, but we didn't go um, through with the development of any of our fall samples. Okay. Um, we actually just got a box of all the fall samples that were supposed to come out. Oh. <laughs> and we were like, oh, this one is so good. I'm so sad we don't have it. But, um, you know, allocating cash for inventory spend was just definitely something that was really... Not so, we, we couldn't we couldn't wrap our minds around doing it in such a precarious situation. Right, right, right. So just just to back up a little bit, so you guys, just to listeners know, you guys were living in New York prior to COVID. Uh, oh yeah, everything uh, was up there. 
Yep. So we were living in New York and um, we moved down to our parents' house with both my, both of our fiancés at the time. Um, we're both also COVID brides. Yeah. I was going to ask you guys about that too, because obviously those are big milestones. You guys were both engaged. So how did you handle that too on the personal side? How did you like yeah. remain optimistic um, and decide what to do about your wedding? Yeah. Well, we all moved into my parents, the, the two fiancés, us, and then we have four, we have three other siblings. So there were nine of us here. We all got very close very quickly. Um, and Chloe's wedding, Chloe was supposed to get married. I was supposed to get married April. April 25th. So we had to make some decisions pretty pretty quickly. Right. It was almost, she almost was in a group where it was like pretty easy. It was easier to make yeah, a choice. Yeah, because we didn't have a choice. There was no oh, let's just do something small because we had no idea what, how long this was going to last, what it was looking it was really like. Out. People didn't even want to go to the grocery store. So we, we almost... Everyone except our mom. Yeah. We <laughs> almost made it, um, it almost made it easier for us. Okay. Um, so we decided that weekend that we were going to push everything to February. Uh, because at the time, which Neely's story is a bit different, um, no one was doing even small friends and family ceremonies. Um, it was all like you were pushing it a year out or pushing it however long out. Right. Um, we had actually looked for dates in November and December, and the place we're having it didn't have any availability. So we went with February. Um, and our plan right now is to um, just move forward with that date and, you know, base the guest list size off you know, off of what the COVID restrictions are in Got it. at the time. So we're being really, really safe and, and careful about it. Um, and, um, can't believe it's been going on as long as it has, right. but we're going to move forward, whether it's 10 people or we can have 200 people and just be as careful as we, as we possibly can and make sure everyone feels, um, as safe as possible. Got it. And then Neely, I just saw the pictures. You recently got married in the, when, yeah. you were supposed to, how, when were you supposed to get married originally? So I got married on the original date. Okay. Um, I was supposed to um, get married over in France, actually, in Aix-en-Provence. Okay. Um, we really kept our poor friends and family on our toes. We, we really tried <laughs> to muscle through it. Um, and so we, uh, we hung on until... Um, yeah, like mid-June. I think the bummer was that, like, really everything was on the ground in France was fine, and there was just Got a travel okay. too. Um, but so we ended up doing a really small wedding with just our immediate families and our wedding parties. Um, it was 35 people, and we did... Um, Everybody got a COVID test before the weekend. It was at, at my parents' house. Everything was outside, but um, it was very quirky and fun and and it was we had a really great 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 time so yeah. um, feel lucky to have done that we're currently the current plan is that the party is postponed to the same weekend next year got it um, okay we're in France, but we'll see we'll see yeah well i saw the pictures and they were really pretty it looked awesome so it was a great it was an amazing night but that's also a lot to handle. You're trying to run a business and then trying to figure out when to get married. Such crazy times. Um, now, you guys come from a long line of people in the fashion industry. Obviously, there's Tori Birch, but then also your dad, who launched Eagle's Eye. So yeah. did you turn to him for advice during this time? Like, who did you guys turn to advice for? I think we turned to anyone we could find. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, yes. He was very helpful. Um, our whole family was. I mean, I actually think both of our 
fiancés were incredibly helpful to help us, you know, try and um, keep our head above water. Um, and then I think turning to other small business owners was huge um, and just making sure, you know, we were supporting them and they were supporting us and, you know, texting with them and being like, you know, what are you guys going to do with Markdown? What are you right. going to do with this? Like, what are you guys thinking? We didn't know if, you know, UPS or FedEx were going to keep going. Like, there was a lot of um, questions that I think everyone had. And we, um, I think, turned to a lot of our friends who have have small businesses. Um, I think there's, there's, it's like a funny little network of people that just, I feel like there's probably like 10 different brands that people either know someone who works there or know the founder or whatever. And I right. think there's kind of this network of us that kind of all turned to each other and asked for advice um, um, and kind of how they were handling things. Um, or we did things like our Instagram story where we posted on other brands to shop yeah. small and right. things like that. But um, yeah. no, our, I mean, our family's very, very helpful, but mm-hmm. this is the first time you know my dad's yeah. experience and I, think, right. and I think what's also interesting about that sort of generational gap like when we talk about the reaction being like it's suicide to put your product on a, on the internet new brand new good inventory on the internet for that part of the discount um that's completely counterintuitive to anything anyone in the industry is familiar with right um so i think it, it you know that's when the, you have those moments where you're like maybe it's good that we're naive yeah right <laughs> it worked out this time i'm not sure it always works out but at least this time it did um and so um you know that was we're very glad we we did that and bounce nice that then it's really nice to have each other to bounce ideas off of one another definitely yeah and so then how long did it take you guys to adapt and respond to sort of the new normal of business over the past seven months i mean i, I honestly think the the culmination of it probably like we really only feel like we just finally adapted we finally got out of our lease for our showroom in new york city which okay. was a pretty big line item um and that really only happened at the end of september. august or the end of september yeah okay. so it, i mean it took a lot of things happened very quickly um i think and i think there was this period where things were shut down for so long and stores didn't really start to reopen until like may or june like maybe not even till july so we almost got in this rhythm um for those three or four months um about really just pushing web sales as as much as possible okay Um, so we kind of adapted in that way um but in terms of kind of getting settled in like a new location and with our team and things like that, I feel like we're just kind of getting to the point where we're feeling um, like we have our new routine down. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. And um, I liked when you guys did like the stories on Instagram um, mm-hmm. during like when everyone was in lockdown and did all, you yeah. know, showed all the product. I liked that a lot because um, I liked seeing your guys' face behind it. I thought that was kind yeah. of cool how you did that more. It seems like people respond to that, which is, um, which worked well for us. I think, look, I think the other thing that really served us well is that like, we have never been the girls that are trying to build this facade about how everything is, is so like, so going so well. And we have all of these big boy meetings and this, all of this stuff happening. I think our goal has always to be super transparent. And mm-hmm. one of our sort of founding pillars of the brand has been like, uh, part of accessibility has got to be sharing with consumers like both of the positives and the negatives and the challenges of running a business like this right and so i think we were very um 
there was no like mental hurdle or emotional hurdle to popping onto Instagram and saying like, we're struggling with this. This is really hard. This is going really well, but this is really not what we expected. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of always been our MO. And I think that really allowed it, not only allowed us to pivot to that very quickly, but it also, I think, makes it come across as it's very genuine and very sincere. And it's not uh, hunting for sales or anything else. It's just using it as an outlet and a platform to share our experience and hear from others about what they were going through as well. Yeah, 100% agree. And then how did you guys both maintain an optimistic attitude throughout the past seven months? You were dealing with the business side and then you know postponing weddings. So how did you both stay positive? Yeah, I mean, seriously, why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going to say exercise. I'm going to say wine. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, and I see, you know, your next question is kind of daily routines and stuff. I think yeah. for me, you know, like the first two weeks, you're like, ooh, this is great. I can get, like, cozy by the fire and watch Netflix and, you know, be a little lazy. But I think, I think trying to maintain a, a routine to some degree, for at least for me, is very important. Um, so, you know, I, I love to work out. It makes me feel great and it helps me de-stress. And so like I try and wake up every day and do that in the morning and kick off my day that way. And then I think, um, you know, maintaining that and being able to like, you know, either go to the same desk in your house or do whatever is good for you in terms of a routine and, and a workspace, I think is really important. So then you have, you know, you can definitely step away. Right. Um, and I think, you know, being able to lean on each other, I think, is also a huge thing. Neely gets stressed about certain things, and I get stressed about certain things, and I think being able to kind of talk each other through it is a super helpful avenue, and we're not, you know, I, I feel for a lot of these founders that did it have started companies on their own, because right. I think Neely and I are able to... If any of them are listening, you can call us anytime. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure we can be helpful, but sometimes it's just nice to be able to vent. Uh, I mean, I think the, commiser- the aspect of commiserating is, is like a, is a very important um, cathartic piece to feeling like you can get up and do it again the next day. Definitely. Um, I think, and, and something we haven't really talked about yet that I'm sure other people have um, been through is the government funding piece of things okay. is like another is a whole other is a whole other thing we can we can get into it but that was a hugely helpful valuable um, thing for us and I think you know as much of there as much of it was about like pivoting and like moving quickly to acclimate and get get settled in a new way of life there was mm-hmm. also a piece of things that went along with it which was like oh life just like is inherently slower right. like half of our business half of our business operations were geared towards wholesale and they just completely froze right and so immediately we had less to do okay. um, and I think another piece of it was like getting comfortable with the fact that there were days where like it was three o'clock and we were like oh we're done right. Right, right right like and that's okay and that's it's okay, okay that yeah Yeah, for sure. And then were there any silver linings that did your company, Neil and Chloe, improve in certain unexpected ways that you'll sort of carry on um, totally. going forward? I, I think there's been a ton. I mean, we, I, I think without, without getting too, too much into it, I think, um, you know, for us, it, it was, 
was a really important and valuable moment in time to like hit pause on what we've sort of been we've gotten complacent in um, and take a step back and really figure out like what was valuable mm-hmm. like is our showroom in New York what context is the showroom in New York valuable in and right. it's a really big line item for us that you know 1500 square feet in New York City or 1200 square feet whatever it is um, is like not a casual monthly bill for a company of our size and um, you know it gave us the chance to press pause on things that we thought had to be there um, and and think really critically about what is important for the trajectory of the business moving forward Um, and then I think just like take a step back and think critically as a whole about what, what the next step looks like for us um, what can we capitalize on? What's going well? What what do we need to, you know, sort of pull the foot off the pedal on? And um, exactly. I don't, I don't even, I'm not sure what the next step would have looked like without having had that pressure to to finally be really hypercritical of every single thing we do. Right. Um, and then I think the other silver lining is it just develops really good habits. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just so much. I mean, every you just get ready we've always been critical of every dollar we spend um it puts a whole new meaning on that and it's it's you know i think it will really lay the groundwork for a strong lean company as we continue to grow coming out of the other side definitely and then the other silver lining is we have you guys back in philly now (laughs) yeah exactly exactly um there's a big philadelphia listener base so that's why i wanted to mention that yeah i mean we've loved being back we've always fulfilled not always but for the last couple of years we have a warehouse that's out in Pottstown. actually i would say that was another thing that really kept us sane during everything is because our warehouse was really just it's just us we fulfill ourselves like we didn't have any staff at that time on the ground doing fulfillment so you guys all kept us so busy with orders um, that nice to get out. It was like two or three days a week. <laughs> Chloe and I were driving out to Pottstown. I mean, we were literally door to door, just in the house, in the warehouse, and there was nobody else there, so it was totally safe. But you know, it, it definitely gave a sense of purpose to be like, oh my god, we have all these orders. We got to get out there. We got to fulfill them. Um, and it and it definitely impacted, I think, our sanity to be able to get a little distance. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think we covered everything and do you want to let the listeners know, um, you know, where they can find you guys, where they can buy yeah. product, all that good stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're of course on Instagram, it's just, um, at Neely and Chloe. And then our website, if you guys want to check out any product, it's just Neely and Chloe.com. So, um, we offer, you know, 10% off for brand new, um, customers. So you can sign up with us for that. Um, and we have lots of great customization options for our products and fun things. I know we're getting into the holiday season, so lots of good gifting options. For sure. And like I said earlier, I did monograms on, on all my product, I think, from you guys, which I love. Yeah, yeah. It's really pretty. Yeah, I mean, we have we have tons of great options and new products that you can monogram and do embroidery and hand painting and all that fun stuff. So definitely should uh, check it out. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys, for coming on. Thanks, Sally. Thank you so much. My fifth and final interview is with Dr. Katherine Foote. She is the owner and founder of Foot Orthodontics and they have locations in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania and Wayne, Pennsylvania. She's been named top dentist in both Philadelphia Magazine and Mainline Today for the past 10 years. So Katie or Dr. Foote, welcome back to the podcast. Um, Thank you for having me. We did our first podcast interview exactly three years ago in October of 2017, which is crazy how time flies. 
you were um, only my fifth podcast guest. So we had a lot of fun. And for the listeners that have not tuned into our first interview, I really urge you to do so. You not only tell us about the journey of opening two locations um, for your orthodontic practice, but you also provide a tremendous amount of valuable business and life advice. You talk a lot about how it's so important to muscle through challenges, remain patient, and play the long game. So fast forward three years, you continue to grow established practices in both Bryn Mawr and Wayne, and you are a full-time working mom to three adorable little ones. And how old are they again? Okay, so right behind Tara's little ones, my sisters. Um, exactly. So you have been named top dentist in both the Philadelphia Magazine and Mainline today for the past 10 years, is it? Yep. Okay. And then, as we all know, we are now in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And just so listeners know, we're recording this interview on Wednesday, October 14th, so just about seven months into this pandemic. So for the listeners that did not get a chance to listen to my first interview with you, can you tell us a little bit about what foot orthodontics is and how long you've been in business? Sure. Um, it's an orthodontic practice for children and adults. We're, we're probably 50-50, 50 adults, 50 kids. Um, and I opened it in 2009. I bought the practice of a retiring orthodontist. Your, your orthodontist as a child, mm-hmm. and um, he stayed on for about three months, and then he left, and it, there wasn't there wasn't many patients, so it was kind of like starting from scratch, right. um, but I liked that challenge, and then um, five years after that, I was presented with the opportunity to open a second practice, um, and that was in Wayne, Pennsylvania, and that was already the practice of a periodontist, so it was kind of set up dentally, which was nice, Um, and I had just had our first baby, and then opened that, and then maybe a year after that, Mm -hmm. um, hired an associate, and that was great because she helped during um, my subsequent two pregnancies, and then she actually just bought a practice last month in New Jersey near where she grew up, so I was very happy for her. Okay. And um, and I think that was also born out of COVID. Right. But um, so we're about five years in the second office and, and 11 in the uh, Britain Rock location. Amazing. So, uh, yeah. yeah. No, so I was going to say when COVID hit, things obviously changed. Yeah. So definitely want to talk about that. So when COVID hit in early March. So what did those first couple of weeks look like? So I... I'm guessing, were you considered an essential business? Yes and no. We okay. We allowed to see emergency patients. Okay. Um, but not but not remain open in any way. So I furloughed, well, we rescheduled in a two-week block because we didn't know what, what we were going to be told. So we just kept pushing patients two weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I furloughed all the staff, including the associate, except for one um front desk who helped me reschedule everybody okay so luckily our sitter was still coming and um she was by herself and she drives the car and I wasn't overly worried about her and coronavirus Mm -hmm. so that was helpful um so I was still able to come to work so I would just come in instead of coming in at seven I came in at eight okay and so leaving at five I left around three thirty or four um but I still was here all day by myself and it was oddly busy it was lots of can you leave my invisalign outside the door? Can you check my photo, virtual photos, virtual consults? 
um, lots of emails and texts, and so I, it, it was, I found myself busy, and then it was, like, nice to have a little bit of downtime to just do catch-up stuff that I'd wanted to do for a while. Okay. Um, and then every two weeks, we would just reschedule again. Right. So it was a little chaotic, so by the time May, the first week of May, I was like, all right, got to stop this. Like, it's, we just keep, it's just making extra work mm-hmm. for my front desk was helping. I'm like, this is silly. We don't have, we don't have any idea when we're going to be told to go back. Well, I'll just call people. So then uh, May 8th, okay. we were told that we were allowed to reopen, but we still hadn't had all our PPE delivered, which I ordered the week that we closed. And what is so I, what I is PPE again, Katie? Personal protective equipment. Okay. So we needed masks and um, uh, masks, gowns, more gloves, and all the prices were going through the roof. Right. And all the wait times and everything was extended. So um, we were still waiting on gowns. May 8th, so we took the week of May 10th to just, you know, get the schedule in place and then get our PPE, and then we opened May 18th. So it was May 18th, I guess May, the last two weeks of May were just kind of a little calmer, and then June, everybody wanted to come in. To come back. June till now, it's just been nonstop. Nonstop, Uh, Parents are not allowed in the back anymore, they're not allowed... um, Back, they will will wait in their car until their appointment time is called. So we don't really have people in the waiting room. We in Bryn Mawr we do because we have an elevator. Mm. Have to, like parents have to physically come up. So we'll occasionally allow um, one or two adults in the waiting room, but um, in the wait office because you kind of drive right up to the, uh, the entrance. Patients just wait in their car. Okay. Um, so it's it's efficient, but we try to limit the number of people that are in the office at any one time. Got it. And everybody's been respectful about wearing masks. We haven't had anybody, you know, put up a fight, um, as I know it has been done in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, all, so far, so good. It's so, really, really busy. So for the first, I guess, like seven, eight weeks, so from when COVID hit, like around that March 13th time, up until, yeah. I think you said May 8th May is when 8th. it reopened. So it was just you in the office kind of running everything. Exactly. Okay, so how did you, with three kids at home too, how did you maintain sort of an optimistic attitude? Were you worried or fearful of what was coming no. next? No. <laughs> People had, they had stuff in their mouth. Like, they had to, I mean, at some point, I had to see them. Right. I mean, I saw a handful of emergencies, and I started to see a couple of people the first week of May that really needed to be seen. Okay. Um, but, no, I knew... I knew we would eventually see all the patients who had already started. It was a matter of whether we would continue to see patients starting, right? Did it, did it economically impact them? Were they going to forego orthodontics or did they, okay. did they deem this essential? And a lot of times patients or parents, I should say, will do for their kids before they'll do for themselves. So maybe our adult consults would go down, but maybe the kids would go up. So I really wasn't sure how that would play out. Okay. And it's still... We still don't know because we're coming into a second wave. We're sure. coming into the winter. And so I feel like the summer was just a lot of catch-up. Okay. Like a lot of, like, pent-up demand of people wanting to come in. Sure, yeah. And then they, they couldn't for two months and then three or longer because they, you know, they were holding off for the summer. Got it. But, um, no, I wasn't really worried. It was more the logistics of how we would re-enter. And I, I don't foresee this new normal ending anytime soon. Sure. Like, I still don't think, I think it'll be at least two years, if not longer, before we allow parents in the back, or, like, the waiting room situation, because I still think that's 
going to go on for a bit. Sure. So how long did it take your team to respond and adapt to this new normal? And did you guys have any creative responses that you put together? They're all very adaptable. No, everybody was, nobody was hesitant. Like I've heard of mental offices where the hygienists were hesitant to come back or they kind of, you know, were resistant and, you know, they were telling them that they couldn't come back for X, Y, Z. I know childcare was a big issue for um, a lot of women and it was for some of our staff. So we, it was just, myself because I had furloughed everybody sure yeah and even in May I didn't know how busy we were going to be so I only came back with myself and two assistants and one front desk okay and everybody else stayed furloughed and then and how um, many people is that Katie and your whole team there were 10 okay got it another date got it one I did not bring back and then then um Dr. Piscai our associate purchased a practice okay so she moved to New Jersey or left to New Jersey. She oh, right. Italy. You said that. But, so eight. And so for a while, it was just four. It was just me, the two assistants, and the front desk. Mm-hmm. And then toward the end of the summer, um, and once, once the one girl had school-aged children, she really couldn't commit until she knew what was happening with school and childcare. But by, uh, by August, and one had gone out with a baby, and then another one leaves tomorrow with her baby do mm-hmm. so kind of been put the flexible and they're you know nobody, everybody was ready to work they just had to put on a mask right 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 i think Which it's re- do anyway it was more the face shields that we weren't accustomed to okay we always wear masks so it wasn't it wasn't grossly as the norm of what we already do we already wipe down every single piece of everything when somebody comes gets up out of the chair sure so yeah. we didn't really have to adapt that much yeah but um I think what you were talking about, the uh, economic impact that it might have on your business, I think that's interesting, is um, obviously, you know, it's going to play out for another six months to a year, but how, are, are you half probably children, half adults? Mm-hmm. Okay. And how yeah, for the children, yeah. like the, the parents will sacrifice a lot, but then how you that's may lose. Yeah. Okay. But so far it hasn't played out. Okay. So far it's, so what, what um, kind of analysts? saying about our industry nationally is that there that everybody has had this kind of booming summer mm-hmm. in July, August, um, because of the pent up demand and that they expect a plateau come late fall winter. So okay. We're we're not there. I mean I guess we're early fall. Right. But um so I don't know, I'm curious just to see how the next year plays out. But you know, yeah, it's interesting. And then even if the vaccine is available, is everybody taking it? So right. I think our protocols of being extra cautious with parents in the back and then people in the waiting room will mm-hmm. still remain for at least two years. Right, exactly. It's interesting on the real estate side, too, because so many people come to me because I do leasing for office and industrial, and you know they're automatically thinking that we're suffering. But the what's interesting is that we've collected 97% of rent across our whole portfolio. And like you said, I don't think we're going to really know how this is going to play out until another like six, 12 months. Like everything's fine oh, right now. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. and people want, I mean, they're still, it, they still want to be able to have an office space to come mm-hmm. back to. And I was talking to my cousin who's a lawyer and she, and she has three kids. She's like, it's a little insane trying to work from home. Right. I, I do think there's something to be said about going to an office space. Yes. And being focused. I know, I guess business employers wouldn't, don't necessarily want to pay the rent if their sure. employees can be efficient from home, mm-hmm. but you don't get the same, 
dynamic of camaraderie and communication and exactly interconnectedness I think that as you do being in an office so I still think you guys will still collect rent yes yeah and we're seeing we're seeing tenants renew too which is really promising I think it's going to be more of like you know when tenants fully come back maybe employees are working from home two or three days a week and then coming into the office like two days a week. So it'll change in that sense. But an interesting quote is they say, you can sustain a business working from home, but you can't necessarily grow it. Again, it's different for every industry. I believe that. But I thought that was an interesting quote. Yeah. Yeah. So one question I had for you too is, were there any silver linings? Did your company improve in certain unexpected ways? Yeah, I think we've, um, well, at least I have learned to become more efficient um, and kind of almost hyper aware of what's going on because I had the time to kind of like dig through stuff. I cleaned up old papers. I looked at invoices. Like I just, I had the time to kind of really analyze where where we're spending and and I appreciated that time. Right. And then one more question I have for you too is that we we talked about this right before we started recording is um it is the book is it called Breath the New York Times bestseller yeah. okay mm-hmm. it's by James Nestor and I think this is interesting I'm not sure how many listeners um will think it is but I listened to the Joe Rogan podcast which is one of the most popular podcasts and he interviewed the author and it's all about how breathing through your nose is so important but so many of us breathe through our mouths. And another podcast guest I'm having on is Liz Finnegan McKee. She has, you know, a Pilates studio and she's always encouraging me to, you know, breathe through my nose. So then when I saw you posted that book on your account, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, Dr. Foote is seeing this too. So can you speak to that a little bit and why it's so important? Yes. My, um, so my cousin is an ENT and he gave me the book and I was saying to him, I said, this is, this is awesome. One of my girlfriends who's a dentist, um, who is a sleep medicine diplomat, had recommended nose breathing and taping my mouth at night mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago. She said her family and her kids were doing it. I was like, oh, okay, I'll try because I do breathe through my mouth. So um, I've been doing that for about 18 months, and it's been, it's been great. But what's really fascinating is that in his book, he kind of goes through the negative effects of mouth breathing and not utilizing the nose. And then kind of the anthropological reason as to why we've evolved to be mouth breathers and mm-hmm. have really narrow maxillas. And so if the palate is not wide enough, you don't have enough room for the tongue. The face grows longer mm-hmm. and you can only get um, air through the mouth instead of breathing through the nose, which we which we should be breathing through the nose. Mm-hmm filters the air, we get better oxygenation of the blood. They've even done studies on athletes to show that those that nose breathe have higher performances than those that mouth breathe because they just don't get um, the same level of oxygen to the blood and muscles that they would as they do when they're nose breathing. Right. So I found the book so fascinating and it just kind of validated what um, we are already focused on in terms of expansion and reestablishing the width of the palate because so many kids and so many adults are maxillary narrow um, and need to be expanded. And now that we can do it non-surgically, it's just been game-changing to the field of orthodontics because 10 years ago we had to refer for patients to have surgical expansion if we needed the upper jaw to be wider, and now we can do it non-surgically, which greatly improves Amazing. their ability to breathe. Mm-hmm. And quick quick question too, when, it, when you say nose breathing, does that mean breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, or in through your nose and out 
out through your nose. Oh, so get through your nose, out through your nose. Yeah, that's that's really hard. Just like keep your lips closed. <laughs> Uh, now that you've been practicing it, has it gotten a little bit easier? Are you more accustomed to it? Yeah, and I'm, I'm aware that I do it during the day. So in his book, he says you should be breathing five and a half breaths in and then five and a half breaths out through your nose. Um, and I am aware during the day that I, like now that I've been doing it for so long at night, that I kind of inherently do it during the day. After the after the book, I was like, okay, let me, let me like be aware of what I'm doing during the daytime and it really is it's so much better for you I do feel better rested too um and what are some of the negative effects from mouth breathing that you're seeing oh my gosh we're seeing they just don't get good sleep and you'll see these patients coming kids and adults still have like kind of um little hollows under the eye like we call it call them shiners because they always look like they have like a little bit of a dark circle under their eye uh-huh. really long face Okay. They can't, and there's also been a correlation with sleep. They call it sleep disordered breathing. Okay. Um, and kids that have ADHD. So some of these kids are diagnosed with ADHD, and they're they're really just lacking quality sleep. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these issues will be resolved once they're expanded and they can get better air. Because the roof of the mouth palate and the floor of the nose are one and the same. So when you expand the palate, you're also getting better space for the nose for breath to come in mm-hmm. and you're reestablishing what needs to be normalized. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, so interesting. It's fascinating. It's, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Really fascinating. So I'll make sure to reference a book in our notes and then also the podcast where the author was interviewed. He goes really um, into detail about it. Yeah, um, I think he's been, I think he's been on the podcast circuit a lot because a couple of parents have also told me um, that they saw him on, you know, Good Morning America and then they heard different podcasts, Rogan, but then there's two other ones that were referenced to me. So a lot of people have been talking about it, which is all positive. Very positive. Great. Um, well, Kate, I think that wraps up. Do you have anything else that you wanted to share with the listeners? No, it's just nice to catch up. Thanks for um, including me in your little post-COVID update. Yes. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success, or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.